It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, October 28th, 2009. Those of you in Colorado snowed in in October. <laughs> Do you still believe in global warming? I mean, doesn't that count as some kind of objective proof that maybe, just maybe, well, you get what I'm saying. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. You know what's so funny is is that a lot of people, when they think of Satan and demons and evil, um, what they think about is uh, you know people out there who are uh, selling themselves on the street for money. Um, they think of uh, people who are addicted to drugs. They think of Satanists. They think of people who are enslavers and and granted all of those things are truly evil yeah absolutely really 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 bad evil it's not going to cut in any slack here that being said though uh there's a definition of evil that uh that uh, very few people are uh comfortable coming to grips with and that is is that Understand that Satan is a deceiver. He is not, not um, doing his best work when he's got somebody addicted to drugs. It's you understand what I'm saying. That's just not his best work. His best work is is actually it's a it's a piece of art. It really is. I mean, in in the in the museum of evil, it is. It, it, it's just genius. And what is that? Well, remember, Satan himself, according to Scripture, masquerades as an angel of light, right? So uh, where we really, really got to be uh, on our guard uh, for the works of the devil is among those who are religious and pious and uh, and in religious institutions and uh you, you see what i'm saying the reason i'm saying that is because uh the, the the satan's most settled attack his most subtle deception is not the one that everyone sits there and goes duh that's evil no his you know, think think of it this way, okay? Uh, you know, tigers, you know, you know why tigers have stripes? Well, uh, Bengal tigers they have stripes uh, because it camouflages them. Uh, they're very difficult animals to spot in their natural habitat as a result of those stripes. Those stripes really break up uh, visually uh, the tiger when it's uh, out hunting, and it's very difficult to spot them. Uh, you think of uh, our troops. You think of uh, you know those in the military, the armed forces. Uh, those guys uh, they dress up in camouflage. Now they have the digital camouflage, which I, I haven't quite gotten used to yet. I you know 
Um, but you understand what I'm saying? It's uh, so here, here's the deal is that camouflage is a very, very important, uh, part of deception and attack. So what does the scripture say? Satan masquerades as an angel of light, warns us about wolves in sheep's clothing. So where Satan does his best work is in camouflaging himself to look like, uh, uh, basically, uh, somebody who's bringing us news from the one true God. Uh, and as a result of it, there's a lot of wolves out there dressed up like, uh, badly dressed up like sheep. You ever seen somebody with like a, a really, really bad uh, hairpiece? I'm serious. The reality is, is that if you know what to look for, you begin to realize that Satan's sheep suit um, really, uh, it doesn't look real at all. But uh, to those who are unsuspecting, who think that there's no possible way that Satan is going to be uh, doing his best work in a religious place, oh, you have another thing coming. You really, really, really do have another thing coming. And so the scriptures warn us uh, to not be deceived. They warn us about uh, angels of light and and uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. These are common themes in the scripture. And so what do we do here at Fighting for the Faith? Well, we help you um, learn how to spot wolves. You, we, we help you to learn how to spot Satan's deceptions. And that's exactly what they are. They are designed, these deceptions are designed to point you away from Christ towards yourself and your own good works and to get you to trust in you and you alone and the things that you're doing or turn or basically have you commit the sin of idolatry. Thou shalt have no other gods before me is is every bit as relevant today as it was when it was handed down by the one true God from Mount Sinai. So how do we dis- how how is it that you can learn how to spot Satan's deceptions? It's real simple. Get into God's word and become so familiar with it, so well versed in it, so literate in it, and uh so that when somebody comes to you and says something that is not true and they're ba- basically claiming that this is how God is, the first thing that'll happen is you'll go, no, no, God isn't like what you just said, or God doesn't do what you just said, or God doesn't like what you just said. And what will be your authority for making such a claim? The clear teaching of the word of God, plain and simple. Ultimately, there's really only two religions in the world anyway. And I'm, I, I've made this claim many times, and I stand by it rigorously. There's one religion that takes on up plethora of very colorful forms, but it's all still the same religion. This is the religion of I have to do things in order to make myself right before God, and if I do the right things in the right order or attain the right level of success at doing these right things, then God is going to love me because I've earned that love based upon my religious performance. Now, this takes on all kinds of forms. It, one of the forms is legalistic Christianity. That, you know, uh, if, if, true Christians uh, wouldn't do uh, XYZ, and XYZ are man-made rules anyway. 
Okay, um, that's an example of it. A- another example would be Islam. Islam is a completely man-made religion, and there is no grace in it whatsoever. It is 100% submit and obey. Uh, it sounds a lot like uh, Shirley Phelps Roper. <laughs> Current-day Judaism. Uh, pietistic emergence uh, liberalism. It, again, it's a works-based religion. It is not about grace whatsoever. Um, it's a it, it's you doing uh, basically following a list of uh, left-wing uh, sensitive uh, religious activities, and uh, in order f- for God to do something, it's it all comes down. And then there's this other religion, this one other religion that falls in a category all by itself. And this religion teaches there ain't nothing that you can do to um, atone for the uh, the sin and evil that you have committed in your life. Uh, that you are truly, truly uh, deserving of God's wrath and eternal punishment uh, for the evil that you've committed in your life. You've lied. You've stolen. You've committed adultery. You've... Uh, you haven't loved God with all of your heart. You've coveted. I mean, just go down the list. You're guilty, 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 guilty as sin. And you know it. But that religion doesn't stop there. Uh, see, the thing is, is in that religion, and yeah, I understand. I'm calling it a religion. Some of you are going, oh, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, talk to me later about it. Um, in this in this other religion, um you can't do enough good to save your skin. You cannot do enough good to uh, avoid the wrath of God that you've earned. And so you are in just one hot spot, if you would. And uh, and so this other this other religion teaches that God himself is both just and loving. That uh, that he punishes sinners as well as forgives them but that forgiveness is not because he's some senile old grandpa in the sky who likes handing out spiritual butterscotch um no instead it's that god himself became a man and he actually lived the perfect life that was demanded of you to live and you didn't and uh and then he took your place uh before the wrath of god and god's wrath was poured out in on him full strength and uh, he was punished in your place as your substitute. So God's wrath is 100% satisfied. His justice is 100% satisfied. And now he's offering salvation. That means uh, salvation from the wrath of God. It, it, salvation doesn't mean that you get to, uh, you, know, you can have your best life now. In fact, if anything, you might actually have your worst life now. Uh, by repenting and trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And a lot of places on planet Earth, that's a death. That's, that You do that, you're marked for death. Um, but here's the deal. You're, you're, you know, Christ is offering a full and complete pardon, 100% forgiveness of every single wretched thing that you have done from the moment you were conceived until the moment you take your last breath. And if you think you even have the beginnings of an inkling as to really just how wretched you are and just how much evil you have done, uh, believe me when I tell you, you haven't really taken a hard look at that. Um, I think it's by God's mercy in some senses that we don't fully comprehend just how much we have offended God. And uh, 
and transgressed his laws. I mean, if if he were to just let the whole thing fall down on us, I, I think we'd we'd be nothing. So Christ dies for all of our sins, offers you full and complete pardon, and the call of uh, those who are servants of that God is to the world. That's the call of them is for everyone to repent and receive the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name, to repent and believe the gospel. That's the other religion. So it one religion is everything you've got to do. The other religion is, well, it's completely done for you. Repent and believe this good news. You see, yeah, that's what it's all about. All right. I guess we should talk about what we're going to talk about on the program today. All right, we've got three topics today. Uh, uh, think of this as kind of the unholy trinity edition of <laughs> fighting for the faith. I've got a story and some audio I want you to listen to, and it's about Muslims who want Sharia law in Britain, in Great Britain. They are actually going to be uh, having some kind of a rally on uh, October 31st there in Great Britain, and uh, I'm going to read this story to you and play for you some very bone-chilling audio, which I think is important for you to hear. And uh, then we're going to be reviewing Benny Hinn's interview on ABC News. Uh, it, that This was in the past week that this happened. And uh, we're going to go through it. So we got Benny Hinn. So we got Islam, Benny Hinn. And I figured, you know, since we're going to be talking about, you know, those two great things, we'd just throw in a Joel Osteen sermon review just as like the frosting on the cake. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the last time I did a, a Joel Osteen sermon review, I was afraid that I was going to experience spontaneous human combustion. <clears throat> we'll see if I can make it through this one. The name of the Joel Osteen sermon that we will be reviewing is God's Hands Outstretched Towards You. Now, the, the sermon title has some potential here because I can think of a time when when God's hands were outstretched for you and for me. That would be the cross. So the question is, will the cross uh, be the thing mentioned here when in reference to God's hands being outstretched towards you and I, or will it be something else? So uh, we're now getting ready to launch into the program proper, so make yourself comfortable, enjoy yourself, and if we want to enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith, again, we do not have a problem with that. Keep in mind, Jesus himself admitted that he was a drinker, changed water into wine, and instituted uh, communion uh, using, well, of all things, wine. So, uh, so we don't have a problem as long as you're not engaging in drunkenness, which is forbidden by God's word. We don't have a problem with you in enjoying an adult beverage and relaxing. We're listening to Fighting for the Faith. All right. <clears throat> so with that, uh, we've got a story here from the Telegraph in the UK. Uh, the headline reads, Muslims want Sharia law in Britain. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is by Alistair Jameson, uh, who is a reporter there for the Telegraph in the UK. Uh, radical Muslim, uh, the radical Muslim group Islam for UK. Uh, that's not to be con- uh, confused with uh, Y2K. Mus- Islam for U- UK has launched a campaign to impose Sharia law on Britain, starting with a rally in London, according to a report. Members of the organization have Muslims from all over Britain to meet in the capital on October 31st for a procession to demand uh, the full implementation of Sharia law. Demand. But by the way, this is uh, <clears throat> this is typical for Islam. 
Islam uh, converts people at the end of a sword. So here we got a bunch of Muslims in the UK. Uh, they're going to have a rally on the 31st, and they're going to demand the full implementation of Sharia law. Uh, the demonstration will start at the House of Commons and then will uh, converge at Trafalgar Square. That's symbolic. All right. And uh, the group's website shows a number of pictures of British landmarks, including Nelson's Column and the House of Parliament with minarets and Islamic motifs added. Uh, any idea? Do you think that that's that these uh, Muslims are, you know, just is this just some at vague dream that they have? Or do you think this is actually their vision for uh, uh, for the UK? <clears throat> Go with the second one. The website uh, says the images are necessary to prepare Britain for what it believes is a forthcoming Islamic revolution. Oh, that's so kind of them. And it says, in light of the Islamic resurgence taking place around the world, particularly in the UK, one can definitively come to the conclusion that the dawn of a new era is close and that the prophecies of the final messenger uh, that Muhammad saw in relation to the domination of Islam worldwide are indeed true. Consequently, we at Islam for UK felt it necessary to divulge to the British public what precisely ch what precise changes will occur when Britain transforms into this glorious dominion, not only as psychological preparation, but also as a means of enticement uh, to encourage and hasten its implementation. Patrick Mercer, conservative member of parliament and ex-army officer, told the Daily Express, it is extremely dis distasteful and stoking the fires of fear within Brit uh, the British public. If anyone thinks that those views are a step forward in society, they are seriously deluded. Uh, they are repellent and repulsive. A spokesman for the Islamic Society of Britain told the newspaper, 99.99% uh, of Muslims despise these people. This only serves to fuel Racial tensions. <clears throat> racial tensions? I thought these were religious tensions. And so to <clears throat> cap off this just ever so wonderful story, <sighs> boy, it, by the way, this is the nature of Islam. This is not some, you know, these, I don't know why people keep, you know, uh, insisting uh, that uh, this, these people are radical Muslims. The, these are Muslims. The, the, Keep in mind, Islam spread initially and continues to spread at the tip of a sword. Nowadays, it's at the tip of a suicide bomber or an AK-47, uh, but it's all about submitting. And uh, with that in mind, I would like to um, uh, play for you some audio from Anhem Shudaris, uh, 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 who is a... A member of this um, Islam for UK group, and he's uh, he's a is Muslim teacher, and I want you to hear him discussing the forthcoming rally for Sharia law, and uh, in his own words, talking about what Islam is all about, and and see if um, if you think I'm just being overly critical. So so here we go. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We begin in the name of Allah, Rahman Rahim. I'm sure you would have heard by now that there is a march for Sharia taking place on the 31st of October 2009 in central London. This march is essential for people of Great Britain. You will know that at the current time Great Britain is beset with many problems from the credit crunch to the MPs exploiting the resources 
to the drug and gun culture among the youth. Okay, now I'm going to point something out here. Um, this gentleman, this uh, this Muslim teacher here, uh, what's he pointing to? The things that we can all obviously say, yeah, that's evil. You know, right? Okay, yeah. And uh, notice his solution is a religious solution. But Islam is not of the one true God. It's actually a false religion that follows a false God. And um, and so this is an example, if you would, of um, Satan deceiving people by looking pious and religious. Now, how do I know that Islam is a false religion? Plain and simple. Uh, their claims regarding Jesus Christ are absolutely contradictory to what the scriptures teach. What, what does Islam teach about Christ? That he is not the incarnate Son of God, that he is not God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity, and that he did not die on the cross for your sins, and obviously he didn't raise from the dead. That's all Christian mythology, according to them. And, of course, Islam, being the Johnny-come-lately, uh, you know, is making the claims that uh, Muhammad is the final messenger of God, if you would, and therefore his claims have got to be true. The thing is, is that uh, you, now we've got two competing claims. Well, Christianity claiming that Jesus is God in human flesh, and uh, Islam claiming that, uh, no, he's not. So how do you resolve it? I mean, logically, they can only one can be right. One is right, the other's wrong, or they're both wrong. But they both can't be right. That we know for sure. Well, it's real simple. You look at the evidence, okay? And what we find in the New Testament is, is that the New Testament documents were written very shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So short, in fact, that they were written during a time when there would be uh, shall we say, a good cross-examination from people who had the means, motive, and opportunity to shoot down any mythologies that were uh, pr purported in the uh, in the New Testament regarding Jesus. And what we find out in these in these New Testament biographies is that Jesus Christ claimed to be the one true God in human flesh when challenged regarding his authority to do the things that he was doing, basically said, tear down this temple and I'll build it up in three days. And the temple he was referring to was the temple of his body. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and the third day after that, after he was crucified, he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave, and this was witnessed by over 500 witnesses. And their eyewitness testimony is recorded for us in the New Testament docs. It's real simple. You want to overthrow the claims of Christianity, you got to find the bones of Jesus Christ. Just claiming to be a prophet and saying, no, that's not how it is, that just doesn't hold any weight at all, which exactly is what Islam is. We continue to the exploitation of individuals through gambling, pornography, alcohol. There is a dire need for a solution. And this March for Sharia will highlight some of the solutions which we can offer to the British public in order to bring them out of the darkness and the oppression and the hegemony of man-made law into the beauty, the justice and the perfection of Islam. So uh, they're going to bring them out of the darkness of uh, freedom and man-made laws, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, and bring them into the loveliness of Sharia law. Ah, uh, you British women out there might want to go get fitted for your burqas. Indeed, the Sharia to be implemented is not a new phenomenon for Europe. In Crete, in Rhodes, in Cyprus, in much of Switzerland, in southern France, indeed in the whole of Spain, at one time the Sharia was implemented. Even King John of England asked the Wali, the governor of Morocco, to implement the Sharia in Britain in return for assisting him in his, uh, out of his problem that he was facing at that time in Europe. 
And we can see as well that the solution which is being offered by the likes of Cameron and Clegg and other parties do not deal with the fundamental problems that Britain are facing. Rather, it is more of the same. Uh, so the solution that uh, Islam is offering to Great Britain in this time of turmoil um, is uh, Sharia law. Oh, boy. Britain does not need a change of leader. It needs a revolution. Indeed, it needs an Islamic re revolution. So yeah, we've seen how those is Islamic revolutions go, and it's generally not uh, good. It, these are very bloody things. And uh, we don't consider this to be a move forward, but rather a, a move back to the Dark Ages. What exactly are we inviting people for in this march for Sharia? I must begin by inviting everyone, Muslim and non-Muslim, to accept the kalima of Tawheed. In other words, to declare, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, that we bear testimony that there is no one who is worthy of worship, of submission, of serving, of obeying, other than Allah, and that the messenger Muhammad وسلم, is his final messenger. Uh, no, he is not. And uh, n no, the God you worship, that you call Allah, you know, which is just a generic uh, for God, that God doesn't exist, and Muhammad is not the prophet of the one true God, the one that actually does exist. If you embrace Islam, then you have the promise of paradise in the hereafter. If you embrace Islam, and what does that mean exactly? Maybe you should give us some definitions here. If you abide by the commands of God. Ah, law. If you abide by the commands of God. You will have the best in this life. Yeah, well, let's see, here's the problem uh, on him, uh, is that uh, if you're really honest with yourself, you do not obey the, the commands of God. Because that's, that's the thing. You're saying, if we obey the commands of God, then we will have life, a good life here and a life in the hereafter. Well, the, see, the thing is, is you and I, we don't. And uh, th that's the thing about Islam. It is the ultimate self-righteous religion of works. There is no grace in it. And in the one to come. We have a common destiny, O people of Britain, that each one of us will once face our Lord in the hereafter, and we will be accountable for all of our actions in this life. Well, then we're all toast. Therefore, we invite you to embrace the fastest-growing ideology and religion on the planet Earth today, that of Al-Islam, the religion, the ideology of submission, there you go, out of his own mouth. I, <clears throat> so Islam is the uh, religion, the ideology of submission. Submit or perish. Indeed, the Muslim is the one who submits to the law of his creator. And no, he doesn't. He self-righteously and hypocritically does. And if you, if you decide not to accept Islam as a belief... Indeed, if you are not ready at this time to embrace Islam. I, I, I will never embrace Islam. Never. No way. It's a false religion that sends people to hell. Then we offer to you the Sharia, the system of Islam, in our life as an alternative. <laughs> thanks. No thanks. I, I'll pass. I hope the people of Britain do the same. Indeed, we can see that in the history of mankind, the only system which eradicated poverty was indeed the Islamic system. Yeah, 
That's a funny way of putting it. Eradicated poverty. If you've seen the nations that uh, um, basically have Sharia imposed upon them, it's not that they eradicated poverty. They just spread it around to everybody. You know, if if everyone's poor, then then no one's rich, and you can't say that anyone's poor. When implemented, great leaders like the Khalifa, Omar bin Abdul Aziz and Ma'amun, completely eradicated poverty from the Islamic State. And yeah, and completely eradicated freedom, freedom of speech, uh, completely treated women like they were chattel. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, you know, where the I think of the Taliban and them using AK-47s to execute, you know, women that they had, you know, that that had somehow run afoul of uh, the Sharia law at, you know, the half times at the soccer stadium. Yeah, that's just great stuff. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Till there was a situation where the uh, golden dinar and the silver dirham were available publicly to the people, the citizens of the Islamic State. And yet no one came forward to take anything because their basic needs of food, clothing and shelter were met. Indeed, when the Sharia is implemented, the belief, the life, the mind, the wealth, the dignity of all citizens, the honor, the respectability of every man, woman and child will be protected. And indeed the... <laughs> protected, really? You, you, so you call that honorable when you uh, machine gun down a woman for not wearing a burqa. That's honorable, right? The food and the clothing and the shelter, which we are all needy for, will be provided not as a privilege for the few, but as a divine right for all. And uh, in addition to that, we can see that socially, when the Sharia is implemented, neither the man nor the woman will be exploited. Some of the biggest industries in Britain today. Really? Women are not exploited under Sharia. What planet are you from? Give me a break. So there you have it. You folks in the UK, you've got a real fight on your hands. And uh, those Muslims there, I see the news reports and the and the blog reports coming out of uh, out of Great Britain about just how bad uh, the, and how racist and how hateful uh, the Muslims are there that are and they're now rallying and want to impose Sharia law on Great Britain and calling for a revolution to bring it about. Folks, this is frightening stuff. And this is the nature of Islam. This is not some perverted version of it. This is the actual nature of the thing itself. And if you have a even a cursory understanding of the history of how Islam spread throughout the Middle East and Northern Africa. It was not a, quote, peaceful thing whatsoever. All right, we're up on our first break. When we come back, we're going to be reviewing Benny Hinn's interview on ABC News. This is going to be all kinds of interesting, so you definitely don't want to miss that. And then in hour number two, our sermon review today from Joel Osteen. Uh, It's entitled, God's Hands Outstretched Toward You. That's what it's called, and... uh, you would hope with a name like that that maybe the cross might might make an appearance and, you know, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Well, we'll see if Joel Osteen ever gets around to any of that. And uh, so you don't want to miss that. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. It's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or... You can follow me on Twitter. My name there again, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. 
Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh. sacked the choir, and put Damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian gentle. Damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And, okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. 
said Paul Erdman of the New York Times. With a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. We're back. Warning. Listening to this program could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church. All right. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. And right now, we're looking for a 1,000 of our listeners to join our Pirate Christian Radio Fighting for the Faith crew. That's right. We're looking for crew members. And uh, the good news is is that it's merely, it's, 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 it's a drop in the bucket financially, really, if you think about it. It's only $6.95 a month to join the Pirate Christian Radio Fighting for the Faith crew. And uh, we do have perks. That's right. We have perks for our crew members. And uh, that perk is, uh, the big perk is that you have access into our, our growing treasure trove of great theological and doctrinal and biblical resources at the uh, Pirate Christian Cove. And uh, if you, you know, so as our way of saying thank you to those people who've joined our crew, uh, you, you get you get exclusive access into the Pirate Christian Cove. And not this weekend, but next weekend, uh, we're going to be doing my first, our first ever pirate uh, pirate webinar, if you would. I guess you can call it Pirate University. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be doing a uh, a lecture on uh, two things: uh, the Heidelberg Disputation. Uh, this is the document to really right before Martin Luther really hammers out uh, the concepts of law and gospel. But it's a great document uh, that shows that even our uh, our best spiritual works may actually be mortal sins. And so we're going to be talking about that and not just uh, go, going through the document alone, but we're also going to be I'm going to be. Giving the biblical underpinning to that, well, all uh, and as part of the uh, the webinar, I'll also be giving just a flight through the uh, the Pirate Cove, and then we'll also be talking about uh, the uh, Martin Luther's treatise on Christian liberty and some of the highlights of that particular document and why it's important. And so we're going to be doing that next Saturday. Uh, what's the date next Saturday? Hang on a second here. I got to pull up my uh, my calendar. <clears throat> iCal, that's that's the the program we use on the Macintosh because you know Macintosh is a very very righteous and holy uh, operating system. Uh, that's right. Uh, Saturday, November seventh. Saturday, November seventh, and the webinar is uh, is going to be at noon Eastern time on Saturday, and so uh, yeah, I have to do it at that time so that we can get people you know at different parts of the country, including those on the. Uh, on the Pacific time zone to be able to show up. And so uh, those of you who are members of the Pirate Christian crew, yeah, you will, um, you automatically are invited to uh, to attend the webinar, and I'll send you guys out a link to let you know uh, how that you, you can access it. And uh, so if you would like to uh, uh, join our crew, you can do so. Go to fightingforthefaith.com, and when you get there, click on Join Our Crew. 
And by signing up, you it's a mere $6.95 a month. And once we get to 1,000 listeners, and boy, have we got a long way to go. Uh, once we get to 1,000 listeners who have signed up for the, uh, the crew, then uh, that guarantees uh, the ongoing mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, because at least at that point, on a monthly basis, uh, the minimum uh, that we need to, to bring in every month will be there for us to pay our bills. So, and of course, we'd like to get beyond the minimum so that we can uh, expand our reach uh, for uh, for this radio program. But again, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on Join Our Crew, or, and if you'd like to donate above and beyond that, you can do so uh, by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending, uh, sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And those of you who donate a, a, you know, a, a lump sum of in excess of $84, you are, you are also, you will be granted access into the Cove. I want to let you know that. We're, we're, we're thinking of a name for those people who kind of give the lump sum, uh, you know, uh, for the year. And uh, we were thinking uh, gunner's mates or something like that. And, you, you know, the, 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 the <laughs> rather than crew member, you guys are, you guys are gunners. It, it, it worth I'm working on that. Anyway, all right. Uh, Benny Hinn, uh, the televangelist, recently uh, appeared on uh, ABC News. And the segment they did on him was entitled, Benny Hinn, Hinn, Snake Charmer or Healer? And listen, Benny Hinn does not grant a lot of interviews. And this particular interview, even though he granted it, uh, there's some things that, that, that just, how shall I say, fishy about it? Uh, it worth listening to, and of course I will be <clears throat> interjecting as I normally do. I apparently can't seem to hold my tongue. Um, I, my mom obviously didn't teach me any better, so uh, <clears throat> that may be why I'm doing radio, because I can't keep my mouth shut. Anyway, uh, just speculating at this point. So here's the story from ABC News on Benny Hinn, and uh, I'll chime in as as needed. Here we go. He has been the subject of investigations by the United States Senate and numerous media outlets, but rarely has the televangelist and faith healer Benny Hinn granted an interview to defend himself. And I'll tell you this, after listening to this interview, I think it'll be a long time before <clears throat> Benny offers himself uh, to have another interview, but we continue. Until tonight. He is perhaps the biggest televangelist in the world. Benny Hinn has preached to tens of millions of people all over the planet. His television show airs in 200 countries every day. Come on, lady. She can walk without the wheelchair, without the cane. The core of his appeal, his claim that God uses him to miraculously heal the sick. The people are so hungry for God here, my God. Whoa. But so you've got to explain this to me. How does it work? Are you saying that the Holy Spirit enters you and you can heal people? Well, I'll try to explain that to you. Yeah, please do. I'm, I'm so glad that you would condescend to explain to us mere mortals how this whole thing works. The anointing, which is God's power. Uh, okay, the anointing, which is God's power. I, I, I feel a Bible verse coming on here. We'll talk about this in a second. <clears throat> comes on me yes i can uh no 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 okay now i want to point you to a passage of scripture if you have your bible um <clears throat> let me uh, pull up my computerized bible by the way and those of you who don't know why i mention this frequently i use the english sanctified version that's what i refer to the esv and um i use a program here on the mac called ac cordons now i do have lebronics by the way i, I have the logos software 
and uh, just it's it's not uh, as good. It's you know just saying it it has a long way to go to catch up to the Windows version, and uh, and just personally, I think uh, Accordance is a is a is a is a more authentic Macintosh experience, if you would. Anyway, the word I'm looking for are is actually words are false Christ. And um, let's see here. We're just doing a word search. Ah, here we go. Matthew twenty four twenty four. Now, when we read scripture, remember our we do some we follow three important rules. Okay, and um, keep in mind that uh, the goal here is discernment and uh, not to be deceived by the devil, because the devil masquerades as an angel of light, as a wolf in sheep's clothing, and uh, so the the devil comes to us in religious garb, if you would, and so we got to be real careful. So. Uh, number one, there are three primary rules when it comes to interpreting the Bible are context, context, and, uh, well, context. And see, when you, when you use those three rules, I kid you not, I, it's, it's almost like a miracle cure. I, it, you know, 90% of all Bible twisting, you won't fall for it one bit <laughs> when you just apply those three rules. Okay, and then by the way, I they get to be applied to me as well. I am not at all exempt from any of this. Now, sometimes uh, you know what? I'll get in a hurry, and I've got a limited amount of time, and I'll quote a verse. Uh, when I quote a verse, it is your duty to say, "Okay, Roseboro quoted a verse in support of something today, and uh, I'm going to apply context, context, context to see if he actually nailed what that verse was saying." Now, just because somebody quotes a verse doesn't mean that they're automatically twisting God's word. No, actually, that's not it at all. In fact, uh, many systematic theologies and doctrinal and theological works will quote a verse or a section of a verse to make a point, and uh, the. More often than not, when those systematic theologies do that, they actually are catching the gist of what that verse is actually teaching. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, but when people twist God's word, well, that's a different story. You, you, you can always tell by looking at the context. So we read uh, regarding uh, Jesus Christ talking about the last days, if you would, and kind of giving us uh, things to look out for. Okay. And so, uh, let's see here. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And Jesus answered, See to it that no one leads you astray. Right off the bat, Jesus is saying, Don't be deceived. Don't let anyone lead you astray. Many will come in my name. <laughs> That's even worse. So here's the deal. There's going to be people coming in Jesus' name. These are going to be Christian pastors. Christian teachers. He says, be sure that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name. Well, you see what I'm saying? <clears throat> saying that I am the Christ. Now, the, the, uh, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars, and see to it that you're not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Now, here's the deal. The, I, the, where I really want to focus this in on is verse 5 of Matthew 24. Let me pull out my Greek New Testament here, because I think, yep, I, uh, huh, I just want to make sure I'm getting this here. Okay, and, uh, Christos, here we go. All right, so I want to point something out here. Okay, Benny Hinn just said that the anointing comes on him, the anointing. <clears throat> now, this is interesting. Christos, when Jesus said, for false Christs will come in my name, 
Okay, there's there's one way to understand this that actually um, would put Benny Hinn into that category. For what when what is a Christ? You know, you're thinking, well, okay, that's Jesus's title. You think Jesus Christ? Okay, so Christ is his title. Well, actually. Christ and Messiah are really the same concept here. And what that is referring to is one who is anointed of God. Okay. So the Messiah is a, is a uniquely anointed one, the anointed one or the Messiah. That's what Christos means in the Greek. So here we go. I'm going to offer you, uh, offer you this, this interpretation and I would challenge you to challenge it. Uh, yeah, that's not a circular reasoning uh, argument, by the way. So Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, okay. One way of understanding it saying I am the Christ is basically saying I am an anointed one or I am the anointed one. Okay. That's what we're seeing with these, uh, televangelists and this quote anointing. Okay. When, um, if we were to literally take what Benny Hinn said and, and translate it into Greek, Jesus, Benny Hinn saying the anointing comes on him, he's basically claiming the Christos comes on him. That's what we're talking about. He's claiming to be an anointed one. This is messianic talk. Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. So here's the deal. When you look at the passage, verse 5, many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ. I think what we're, what we, I think a valid way of looking at that is, is, you know, many will come in the name of Jesus claiming to have the anointing or be, claiming to be the anointed ones. And that's what Benny Hinn is claiming. He's claiming to be an anointed one, the anointing falling on him. This is messianic talk. And I think this is a fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied and warned us about in Matthew 24. Now, if you have an alternate way of understanding this and you'd like to challenge us, I would love to get your emails. But I think that is one valid way of looking at this. And I think when Benny Hinn talks about this, quote, anointing falling on him, immediately the thing that comes to my mind is uh, is is uh, the, the, the Greek word Christos, the anointed one. False Christ, false anointed one. That's what he is. So let me back it up and then we'll, we'll you know, continue. Here we go. Power comes on me. Yes, I can actually feel it. And people start getting healed. You'd be amazed some of the, of the things I hear on that platform from the cancer, the, the pain is gone, the this is gone. Uh, I was sitting on my wheelchair and I can walk now, such things like that. Hinn was born to a Christian family living in Israel. As a young man, he became a devout evangelical. He now controls a ministry that collects an estimated $100 million a year in donations from people who Hinn has convinced that God heals through him. People have called you a con man, a fraud. So let me just put the question to you bluntly. Are you taking advantage of people who are profoundly religious and also vulnerable because they're in physical pain. Now, listen carefully, okay? The answer that Benny Hinn gives, I mean, if somebody were to ask me some kind of a I'd say absolutely not. But listen to this answer. It's almost like an answer from a politician. Here we go. For your own personal enrichment. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're asking. Let me tell you something. 
you, you see what I'm saying? That answer, just, I mean, I'm watching him kind of hem and haw, thinking this is just really straightforward. The answer is if, you know, no. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's. A, I would not do this for money. Really, that's the, that's, I wouldn't do this for money. Okay, then will you do it for free and stop uh, passing the bucket? If people think I would do this for money. Yeah, I, I absolutely think you're doing it for money. I've seen, I my eyes have actually beheld the parsonage uh, that uh, that is there in uh, this wonderful, in the Gold Coast section of Southern California, right there on the Pacific Ocean, overlooking the... Uh, the, you know, basically on the cliffs, you know, right there in Laguna Niguel. After all the misery I've had to go through. What misery? Oh, dear God. You're a human being like me. How would you like to be called all those names? I mean, who wants that? No. <laughs> Hasn't stopped you. <laughs> oh, no. He's been all oh, the misery of name calling. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I've had a ton of people call me names. I, I got a nasty gram from somebody today. Hang on a second here. Let's see. Uh, somebody defending Patricia King and Joshua Mills. I don't know those these light workers or if any of this is valid, referring to the, uh, the um, miraculous teeth whitening. However, you posting this video on your website and attempting to discredit Patricia... King and Joshua Mills tells me more about you than it does them. I can feel the love and energy from them, but all I feel is hate and, ener and judgment energy coming from you. Yeah, well, yeah, actually, that's the thing. Uh, truth does seem to divide, doesn't it? We continue. Never come back, and there it goes. Come what on, you're asking is, am I using the so-called lie? That Again, this is still the answer to the very straightforward question. Are you basically manipulating and using people for money? Healings really happen so I can make money. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Of course not. You cannot... <laughs> How long did it take him to get to that? Fool all the people all the time, right? You don't need to fool all the people all the time. You just need to fool some people sometimes. <laughs> right, exactly. Well... Okay, that's, that's, okay, I mean, I understand that, but I will tell you this. I think if I was fooling the people over 35 years of it now, I would have been caught already fooling them. Now, that's the funny thing. If, if he says, if I were fooling all these people, I would, uh, for, do, for doing this for 35 years, I would have been caught already. Hmm, let me think here for a second. Have I ever, in the 35 years that Benny Hinn has been doing his shtick, have I ever run across anybody claiming that they've caught him uh, fooling the people? Funny enough, yeah, actually, this is true. I have. <clears throat> Let me play this. Uh, this is audio from a video expose on Benny Hinn. We listen. This is from a different uh, news source. But, again, he claims that he, if he was fooling people, he would have been caught by now. And funny enough, <clears throat> Showman, salesman, businessman, Benny Hinn has built himself into a kind of one-man multinational religious conglomerate. It's estimated his ministry brings in more than $200 million a year, mostly based on his pledge that you will be healed if you have enough faith, and especially if you attend his crusades. 
Four years ago, we took our hidden cameras inside Benny Hinn's organization. Tonight, we'll tell you what's happened to him since. But our story isn't only about the man who promises miracles, but also about a remarkable little girl who is looking for one. He calls them miracle crusades. And as always, Benny Hinn's appearance four years ago in Calgary was a finely tuned event. Cancer cannot stand in the presence of the Holy Ghost. Cancer is only a name, but there's a higher name than cancer. That's Jesus. It all builds towards the miracle healing that Hinn maintains is channeled from God through him. The healing everyone here is waiting for. What you see on TV are the lucky ones allowed up on stage. But we found out... Now, by the way, I'll post this video at the uh, the Pirate Cove so that you can see it because they've got hidden cameras at this uh, Calgary uh, miracle healing thing that's going on and they're showing uh, just how the machine itself works. Now, those people who actually meet Benny Hinn are chosen. interviewed a man who saw those miracle crusades firsthand as one of Pastor Benny's security detail. He agreed to talk with us if we disguised his identity. We called him Andrew. How do they pick the ones they want to go on stage at that point? They have staff members that go through and give them a quick, uh, quick interview. And they'll ask them, Can you, you know, what's wrong with you? Oh, I've had uh, rheumatoid arthritis of my left shoulder. I can't lift it. All of a sudden, can you lift your shoulder? Because if you can't lift your shoulder, you can't go on stage. According to Andrew, the screening system has one purpose, to keep the truly sick or disabled away from Benny Hinn. Those people are never near, allowed near the stage. Yeah, they, they show in the back of this, uh, of this miracle thing a bunch of people in wheelchairs uh, that are just not being allowed to come up. In our original broadcast, viewers were captivated by a mother and daughter we met in the stands at the Calgary Crusade. Janice Brulat is a lifelong believer whose eight-year-old Grace couldn't walk because of a severe neuromuscular disorder. I said, you know, honey, we could stay up here because, you know what? I said, Jesus is up here. And she said, no, Mommy, she said, I'd like to go down and see if Benny Hinn could pray for me. I said, are you sure? She said, yes, Mommy. Hoping for their miracle, they tried to make their way towards the stage, but they were intercepted by Hinn screeners, who ordered them to sit down. Grace and I moved over to the side. We sat and waited, and Grace asked me if I could help her to try and walk. And uh, that was kind of her faith in action. And uh, so I picked her up, and we tried walking back and forth. And um, that was kind of a hard moment. We caught up with Janice and Grace as they fled from the arena. Their hopes of a miracle, even a prayer from Pastor Benny, now gone. It just kept saying, is she healed? Is she healed? And like there was such a big like, rush. Like, yeah. <clears throat> so apparently, um, well, uh, in the 35 years that Benny Hinn has been doing his thing, there have been people who've, um, uh, well, you know, caught him.
We'll continue with uh, this uh, interview on ABC News when we get back from our second break. Definitely, definitely worth uh, the the final listen to. Now, if you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback@fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. No babysitting uh, requests allowed. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can. Again, my name there is Pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, With a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. The holiday travel season is rapidly approaching, and the last thing you want to do, especially in these economic times, is pay more for airfare and travel expenses than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, I kid you not, that's their name, provides travel services that you need at the lowest possible prices. Cheapo Air is an eight-time consecutive HitWise U.S. Top 10 Award winner for diversified travel services. So if you're looking for low-cost airfares for the upcoming holiday season, Cheapo Air has what you're looking for. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, that's right, piratechristianradio.com, 
com forward slash cheap, you will find on that page a special promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of any airfare or travel services that you purchase at Cheapo Air. That's right. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and book your holiday travel today. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, straight ahead. We are still listening to, uh, right now, the uh, ABC News interview with Benny Hinn. Which, by the way, I'm really convinced this was not a smart thing for Benny Hinn to do. Because he's not compelling and or believable. And uh, anybody with just a little bit of an inkling of understanding of... Uh, what's been done regarding Benny Hinn's uh, false claims and uh, showmanship. And the fact that he really didn't answer that question straight up, he kind of gave the politician's answer. I just, you know, it's not hard to expose this guy and show him for what he really is, and that is a charlatan, somebody who is fa- who claims to come in the name of Christ and is n- and claims to be an anointed one, and he's not. We continue. Everything's gone. Everything's gone. Hinn admits he doesn't have any medical verification of any of the healings, and in fact, some of the supposed healings... Okay, he doesn't have any, any medical verification of any of the healings? Not one. ...healings have turned out to be not real at all. In Jesus' sweet name. Now, he's showing video of him looks substantially younger here is a, a young boy uh, who has some, who's like legally blind. Uh, listen carefully. Ten-year-old William Vandenkolk claimed his failing eyesight had improved at this Hinn crusade in 2001. As soon as God healed me, I could see better. William is now 17 and still legally blind. I'd say I was caught up in the moment. Being as young as I was, thinking I could actually be getting my vision back. Yep. His name is William, and he still can't see. These are things I cannot explain. (laughs) You can't. I thought you had the anointing, Benny. How? I I thought you were an anointed one who comes in the name of Christ. I mean, here you told everybody on your television program, and you exploited that kid. I remember when that happened. Uh, you know, you made sure to sh- you know go wall to wall at TBN with that particular healing. Blind boy healed, and uh, well, it was didn't yeah, it didn't happen. I can't explain why this happens. It's because you are a complete charlatan. You are not a you are a false Christ. You are a false anointed one. I am not the healer. I'm human like you. I make mistakes like anybody else. Yeah, but you. Uh, 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 uh. As God does the healing, not him, and that he is therefore not responsible for what people claim on stage. But as I continue to press him, his publicist starts to interrupt. Now, this is the fun part. He's uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the interviewer there for ABC News is uh, really pushing hard, and uh, notice what's happening here. Uh, at this point, this this little charade, or charade, depending on what part of the world you are, and this little charade is uh, what we call good cop, bad cop. This is a game, okay? Benny Hinn is being the good cop, and Benny Hinn's publicist now is playing the role of bad cop. 
what if, I mean, if Benny Hinn was truly an anointed man of God, um, why does he need his uh, publicist to come swooping into his rescue? Listen carefully. Angrily. What are some of the other issues besides you know, He just well, said I can I'm ask really him whatever fine. he wants. He's no, 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 I'm really fine with that. In a moment, the conversation gets even more heated. Ron, Ron, I'm really enjoying this. And this. Yeah, this is a charade. This is a charade. This is called Good Cop, Bad Cop. So that Benny Hinn can look like the magnanimous good guy. And his, uh, and his hand, the guy on his payroll, his publicist, is trying to protect him. This was all set up in advance. This is important. When I ask about the ongoing Senate investigation into Hinn's lavish lifestyle. Listen carefully. Funded in part by tax-free donations from the faithful. Two years ago, the U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley launched an investigation into six major televangelists, including Benny Hinn. The question, are Hinn and his colleagues using tax-free donations from believers to fund lavish lifestyles? <laughs> yes, they are. Hinn had never granted an interview on this topic until he sat down with us. Jesus Christ may have lived in poverty, but Benny Hinn lived large, in part off of tax-free donations his ministry collects from his followers. The blood of Jesus! The criticism is that you're leading a lavish lifestyle. Of course. Off. It's always been that, by the way. That, that criticism is nothing new. Well, let's talk about that. Okay, let's. As a follower of, of Jesus, um, yeah. you fly in a private plane. Yes, I You're do. You're staying right now in one of the fanciest hotels yes, in New York City. Yes, I am. You wear nice very nice clothing. Yeah, you're staying at one of the fanciest hotels. So, do you not have any misgivings about that? No. Look, you know, there's this idea, supposedly, that we preachers are, are supposed to a walkabout with sandals and ride bicycle. That's not... Uh, that's a, a complete red herring. I think the bigger issue here, Benny, is, listen, okay, um, it's okay for you to have a, a nice home and to have some nice things and to, to, to pull in a reasonable wage. Well, no one has a problem with that. None whatsoever. And to, to make sure that you have a retirement account that'll make sure that you... You know, you have enough money to, you know, once you retire to, uh, you know, to make it the rest of your life. However, nobody needs a $1.5 million parsonage. Uh, did I mention that it was uh, parsonage? A, a $1.5 million parsonage uh, overlooking the Pacific Ocean in the most expensive um, neighborhood uh, in Southern California next to Beverly Hills. Um, you, you see the difference. There's a difference. I mean, we're not asking you to live in a hut. Um, and here's the deal. I mean, here you, I mean, your, your mortgage payment and the, the, the hotels you stay at and stuff like that are always at the top end of the, uh, the, the food chain there. And, uh, and at the same time, it just makes you wonder, um, how do you justify that in light of the fact that there are literally, um, yeah, well, let's say bazillions of people, um, starving out there it just doesn't seem congruent with the any yeah i think you get what i'm saying we continue sense she came out of it she's healed by the power of god do you never have moments where people are writing out checks to you or filling out cards with their credit card information and you're thinking you know what these people just can't afford it they're doing this because they're desperate and i don't i shouldn't take this money well what you're saying to me is i should I should reject their money because I'm fake? 
I'm yeah, yeah, actually, that's that's true. Um, by the way, and literally, God isn't fooled by this little show there, um, Benny. And uh, you have some splaining to do. Uh, I recommend going the way of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It, it just, it, I'm telling you, Christ even died for this charlatry. Is that a, is that a word? <clears throat> yeah, you, you get what I'm saying? Christ even died for this sin, Benny. And uh, repenting and receiving Christ's forgiveness uh, for this absolute abomination of a thing that you've been doing, uh, that's the wise way to go. I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm asking you. If I was fake, I would absolutely give them back the money. <laughs> yeah, I don't see any refund checks coming. And uh, the, all, there's already been the exposés that have shown you're as fake as a $3 bill. But but I believe that God called me to preach the gospel, which is very important. Oh, Senator oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I wonder what... Chuck Grassley's office. What does the gospel have to do with the charlatan, charlatan in his... Showmanship and his manipulation of people. This tells us that Hinn has cooperated fully with his investigation into whether Hinn and other televangelists are using the tax-free donations they collect appropriately, although the senator has not yet released the results of his investigation. The senator himself stated that we gave them more information even than they thought we would. He did. You're right. But let me ask you, if you're so confident that this information proves that you're behaving appropriately, why don't you release it to me or the public? Now, listen to this answer and pay real close attention. Let, let this sink in the reason why he's going to give. How come you didn't give the ABC News guys uh, this information, too? Listen to the answer, because uh, this is what we call in the, the radio biz as a bold-faced lie. Well... I will, I, I'll say that the, we have an agreement with the senator to keep things confidential. So he's claiming on camera with ABC News that they have an agreement with Senator Grassley to keep all of the, these things confidential. That, by the way, this is a lie. I just want you to know that. I, I know I'm probably ruining the story for some of you, but I want you to know this is actually not true. I have nothing to hide, by the way. You have nothing to hide? No, of course not. He promises to give us any information not bound by the confidentiality agreement. So then I'll, I should be able to get whatever information I'm looking for. I hope you do. But after the interview, the senator's office told us there is no confidentiality agreement. You will bring the... <laughs> yeah, let's not let that one go by too quickly there. Uh, Benny Hinn on camera says uh, that... Uh, He's under a confidentiality agreement regarding the stuff that he released to Senator Grassley. And oddly enough, you know, just, just, you know, the uh, Senator Grassley said there was no confidentiality uh, agreement. <clears throat> and we're supposed to believe this guy is really anointed from God. Why again? I, I haven't heard any compelling reasons to believe that he's anointed of God. Life of heaven with you. Even so, Hinn's ministry said it didn't have time to edit out personal information from its donors in time for our broadcast and therefore gave us nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hate when that happens. You know, you just, you can't, we had to edit out all that. We just didn't have time to do it. As our interview winds down, another outburst from Hinn's publicist. Remember, this is a charade. Uh, this is called Good Cop, Bad Cop. This is so that Benny Hinn can continue to be look like the good, magnanimous man of God. And it's that nasty, nasty, wascally uh, publicist of his, who, by the way, is on Benny Hinn's payroll, uh, who's being the bad cop. 
scolding me for not asking about Hin's new book about the Arab-Israeli conflict. Ron, Ron, that's not important. Can I please say something? The questions Dan asked me, I've been wanting someone to ask me for the last 20 years of my life. Oh, that's so magnanimous and so... just a complete lie. If you really wanted to answer these questions for the last 20 years, you could have answered them at any moment that you wanted to. There have been people who have been chasing you down trying to get you to answer questions like this for, uh, for years. Oh, this is just... Ugh. Again, this is a charade. This is good cop, bad cop. And he's playing the good cop oh so well, and he's just lying. I think what this man did is fantastic, and thank you for doing it. Oh, see, good cop. He's, he's even shaking his hand. Thanks for asking these tough questions. No, really, I'm very pleased. I, Why? I, because it's time for me to tell it all. <laughs> that sounds like you want to confess your sins and you didn't do it. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me. Like I th maybe his conscience is getting to him. <clears throat> I don't want people talking for me. I want to talk for myself. Yeah, well, then, then find your publicist and actually get the documents, open them up, and let's have a follow-up interview where you'll answer the real tough questions. Here's the final bit on this uh, interview. In case you're wondering, Hin says his annual salary is somewhere over half a million dollars a year, although he won't say how much over half a million dollars. We should also... <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, my my annual salary is somewhere north of uh, half a million. To... Come on. Well, that means it could be like it could be like a million. It could possibly be two million. It, it, just remember, any number above half a million at this point could qualify. And uh, his, uh, in some estimate, that his his uh, ministry brings in more than two hundred million a year. <sighs> yeah, we continue. Tell you that he insists that his private plane is not a luxury; that he travels too far and too often to fly commercial. Yeah, he travels too far and too often to. Fly commercial. So there you have it. That's the uh, Benny Hinn interview that appeared on uh, ABC News. Are you buying it? I don't buy it for a second. Um, this is exactly the kind of guy that Jesus Christ warned us about. Coming in his name, and he's a false Christ. And what does that mean? He's he he's not. He claims to be anointed of God, coming in Christ's name, and he's not. Whenever you hear these uh, televangelists talk, uh, anointing talk, don't touch God's anointed. Again, keep in mind that the original languages, when it comes to the Messiah, is always talks about them being anointed, the anointed ones. And uh, that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a false anointed one, a false Christ, a false Christos. <sighs> anyway, all right, it's... Uh, Time to switch gears one more time here at Fighting for the Faith. And that can mean only one thing. It's time for sermon review time. Yes, as a glutton for punishment, I've decided that uh, today we would tackle the unholy trinity of Muslims, Benny Hinn, and now Joel Osteen. Ah. <sighs> 
Now, I understand that some of you, while listening to Fighting for the Faith today, have taken my advice, and you are enjoying an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Please understand that just because I am now playing and will be reviewing a Joel Osteen sermon, that this is not a valid excuse to engage in the sin known as drunkenness. <laughs> Trying to escape this reality will not help you and, and could cause you to end up in a Rick Warren Celebrate Recovery program. <laughs> Today's sermon from Joel Osteen, can you call him that? Just, you know, wondering, um, is entitled God's Hands Outstretched Towards You. Oh, what wonderful greeting card sentimentality that sounds like. <sighs> okay, hang on, I'm stretching my neck. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Getting the kinks out here. Oh, stretching. Okay. I am now ready. Hang on, let me put my helmet on. Okay, I am now... Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's let's do this. Let's do this. We can do this. I, I've psyched myself up. So, without any further ado, here is Joel Osteen on God's hand is outstretched towards you. Well, God bless you. It's a joy to come into your homes. We love you guys. We pray for you every day and just believing for God's very best in your life. And when you're ever out in the Houston area, stop by and see us. We'd love to have you be a part of one of our services. But thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for coming out this morning. I always like to start with something funny. And I heard about these three men that were traveling together, a Hindu priest, a Jewish rabbi, and a televangelist. They stopped at this farmhouse for lodging, and the farmer said, I only have room for two in the house. Someone will have to stay in the barn. The Hindu priest said, I'll do it. A few minutes later, there was a knock on the door. He said, I can't stay out there. There's a cow, and cows are sacred in our religion. The Jewish rabbi said, I'll do it. A few minutes later, there was a knock on the door. He said, I can't stay out there. There's a pig, and that wouldn't be kosher. The televangelist finally said, all right, I'll do it. A few minutes later, there was a knock on the door. It was the cow and the pig. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Actually, you know, funny that he's telling that story. I kind of agree with the cow and the pig on this one. <clears throat> All right, hold up your body. Here comes the Joel Osteen Creed, and uh, see if you can figure out who this creed's about. Uh, you know, just as a counterpoint, hang on a second. Let me grab my Lutheran hymnal. Yes, I have a Lutheran hymnal. And you're sitting here, what do you have a Lutheran hymnal for? Listen, even though I sing badly, it, one of the things I enjoy doing in part of my morning routine is I go through the treasury of daily prayer. And one of the things I do from time to time is, well, I sing a hymn when I'm reading, uh, you know, having my morning prayer time. Just want to let you know that. Okay, hang on a second here. Uh, let's see. Just doing a little comparative work here. Um between the Joel Osteen Creed and something like, well, uh, how about the Nicene Creed? Just, you know, to, you know, just kind of... Here we go, the Nicene Creed. We read, um, and, th and this, by the way, if you attend a liturgical or a confessional church, um, uh, and you will be reciting the uh, Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed on a, on a regular basis. In fact, at our church, one or the other every Sunday. And, um, I mean, literally... Uh, Coming very uh, shortly on the heels of the pr of the uh, sermon itself, 
uh, or right before the sermon in many cases. Anyway, we read, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. Third day he rose again for, uh, He rose again according for, uh, to the scriptures and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Uh, Who was that creed about? Uh, If you answered God, uh, the, the God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you get uh, you get a fighting for the faith brownie point that you can uh, apply to your credit. Uh, not sure where you can redeem those, but uh, congratulations if you said that that creed's about God and all the things He's done. You know that would be God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the things He's done uh, for us. Then uh, you get an A and a and a fighting for the faith brownie point. Now. Um, <clears throat> Let's uh, listen to who this uh, Joel Osteen creed's all about. Bible, say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. All right, so who's that creed about? It's all about me. Yeah, yeah, that's a completely worthless creed. Because uh, I'm the problem, not the solution. Well, we continue. Remember, the name of this uh, particular Joel Osteen sermon, and by the way, drunkenness is not allowed while listening to this, um, is entitled, God's Hand is Outstretched Towards You. I can think of a time when God's hands were outstretched. See if that reminds you of anything. We continue. God bless you. I want to talk to you today about silencing the voice of the accuser. Too many people... this is important. Okay, silencing the voice of the accuser. This is huge. Yeah, I am all for this. Okay, good lead-off sentence. I want to silence the voice of the accuser. Now, who's the accuser according to Scripture? That would be Satan. And what is he accusing us of? Well, so the accuser would be accusing us of such things as, well, let's see here. Uh, You shall have no other gods. Well, accusing us of idolatry. Uh, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, So the accuser would be accusing us of um, taking God's name in vain. The accuser would be accusing us of not remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, He would also be accusing us of not honoring our father and our mother. Uh, The the accuser would accuse us of murdering. The accuser would accuse us of adultery. The uh, accuser would accuse us of stealing. Uh, of giving false testimony, that would be lying. Uh, the accuser would accuse us of coveting. 
Those would be the examples of things that the accuser would be accusing us of. See, let's see if that's what uh, Joel has in mind here. Because, oh, by the way, all of those things that the accuser would be accusing us of, those are known as sins. And, by the way, uh, when the accuser accuses us of such things, uh, we're not going to be able to sit there and go, No, I didn't do that. No, actually, you did. The accuser would be correct in that in that case. Go around feeling bad about themselves. When they make mistakes, instead of receiving God's mercy and moving forward, they listen to the voice of the accuser. And it's constantly reminding them how bad they are and how they blew their diet and lost their temper and how they're never going to measure up. Do the Ten Commandments say anything about blowing your diet? Yeah. (laughs) Um... Joel, um, Bible, uh, you're supposed to be preaching from the Bible. Uh, you're just making stuff up here, dude. You're actually supposed to be, uh, you know, I could just see it. On the day of judgment, <laughs> Satan's sitting there going, look at Roseboro over there. He blew his diet. <gasps> no, no. Come on. Get, get... <laughs> could you imagine some uh, major news outlet you know, doing an expose on uh, the governor of your state, uh, and major headline, governor of uh, your state, whatever state you're in, in you know, Indiana, Minnesota, California, wherever you're at, you know, governor of Arkansas blows diet, impeachment hearings uh, convened. This is ridiculous. Before long, they're carrying a heavy load of guilt and condemnation. I talked to a young lady that felt so guilty because she gave her baby up for adoption. She was a teenage mother. It's been 10 years now, and she's still so down on herself. Okay, um, okay let me see if I have this right. Teenage mother gives child up for adoption and the guilt that he's focusing in on is the giving child up for adoption part do you think there was the sin of formal caboodling that occurred there at all any possible guilt regarding that um she said i feel ashamed like i'm a terrible mother i don't know what was wrong with me what's the problem okay Okay, teenage uh, teenage mother forno caboodlates and uh, ends up getting pregnant. Okay, just want to make sure I got this straight. And rather than aborting the child, murdering it, she decides to give it up for adoption. That to me sounds like an actually a pretty good outcome. Probably because at the time uh, she was an unwed mother and didn't have the means to be able to provide for her child. Therefore, uh, giving it up for adoption actually would, uh, yeah, that's actually kind of a good thing. I'm just, I'm I'm lost here. She's listening to the voice of the accuser, and now she's carrying a heavy load of guilt that's trying to destroy her future. Guilt. A heavy load of guilt that's trying to destroy her future. Would that be the future that occurs at the moment of her death, you know, when eternity comes? Just, you know. It's like being on a treadmill. You're constantly working and struggling and sweating, but you're not going anywhere. It drains your strength, your energy, your enthusiasm. Guilt will keep you from having good relationships. It can affect you not only emotionally, 
but eventually even physically. I, I want to point something out here. Um, there in the Bible, actually, guilt sometimes can be a good thing. Um, again, I would point to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, you have the tax collector who was so guilt-ridden by his by his the convicting of God's law and showing him what a wretched sinner he, he was, he couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. The only thing he'd do was beat his breast and say, Lord, have mercy on me, propitiate me, is way, uh, more what the text talks about because it's mentioning the blood. Cover me in the blood of the Lamb. Um, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I mean, in that case, the law had done its work. That was actually some good guilt. Because it threw him on his face, caused him to despair of his own righteousness, and to basically throw himself at the mercy of God. And it says of the tax collector that he left the temple that day justified, declared righteous. Whereas the uh, that, that Pharisee guy, completely oblivious, had no concept of, of his guilt whatsoever. And uh, boy, what a self-righteous wretch he was. I know people that have had nervous breakdowns because of guilt. Year after year, they've... Uh, do you know anybody who's going to hell because they are guilty? I mean, that nervous breakdown, that's a bad thing, I admit. But um, doesn't that kind of miss the bigger point that the Bible and the New Testament and Christ and the apostles were pointing to? The, yeah. Carried the heaviness. Now it's worn them down to where they can barely even function. Friends, guilt is a dead-end street. You may have made mistakes and done things that you're not proud of. Those are called sins, by the way. Mistakes. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> I just broke the seventh commandment. Actually, is that how that happens? Oopsie! <laughs> just broke the fourth commandment. <laughs> that was a mistake. <sighs> but the moment you ask for forgiveness, God forgave you. It says he All right, so here we got some we got some guilt and forgiveness. Uh, the sin and forgiveness. This is the first time I've ever quite heard him talking about this topic. He will not remember our sins anymore. If Why? If God doesn't remember them, that So this is the gospel of the God of amnesia? That tells me when the accusing voice comes, reminding you of what you've done wrong, how bad you are, trying to make you feel guilty, condemned, unworthy, that's a sure sign it's not God. That's the accuser trying to sour your future. You can do... <laughs> this is the closest I've ever heard him discuss anything that remotely even sounds kind of like the atonement. <laughs> this is the, the, the theory of the atonement known as God has amnesia. <laughs> so when the accuser comes at you... And says, hey, you've done this, 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 and you're a wretched sinner. You sit there and go, I don't care. God won't remember it. He's kind of senile. <sighs> One of two things. You can believe those lies, dwell on them, let it weigh you down. Well, see, that's the thing. When the accuser comes at me, they, they actually aren't lies. <laughs> He's telling the truth. <laughs> or a much better decision is to rise up in faith and say, no thanks, I'm not going there. I realize I've made mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I know this, I'm forgiven. God's not holding anything against me. Well, that's great. Why, why, okay, why am I forgiven? How did that happen? 
And if God doesn't condemn me, then I'm not going to condemn myself. There's a difference between God's voice and the accusing voice. When we make mistakes, as believers, we will feel a conviction on the inside. We will feel guilty. Uh, that, those will be called sins. Sins. When we break a commandment, when we sin, we feel guilty. And notice you said that when you make a mistake, you'll feel guilty. Why? Because, well, you are. Ugh. Our conscience will tell us that's not right. Right, because you've done something wrong. That's the Spirit of God convicting us. Right. The right thing to do is repent, ask for forgiveness, and go forward. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, man, this is so close. I'm telling you, this is one of those things where I've never heard Joel Osteen quite preach like this. Uh, is, do we have a cross here? Do we have... Uh, well, let's continue. The moment we do that, God doesn't remember the mistakes. He has no record of it. It's not on a secret database somewhere. He totally lets it go. But this is exactly when the accused... Uh, you are aware that uh, it's... No, it's not that just that God sits there and hits the delete key. <laughs> well, let's see. There, there was a sin that Chris did. and Oh, he just asked for forgiveness. Hit quick, hit the delete key so I don't remember it. No, Christ actually died on the cross for those sins. They were atoned for. God's wrath was propitiated. The debt was paid. It's not that God hit the delete key. It's that Christ actually did something with Anyway. accuser goes to work. Even though God has forgotten about it, the accuser will try to keep us feeling bad about ourselves. He'll remind you of everything you did wrong, how bad it was, and how you just need to sit on the sidelines. His goal is to deceive us into living condemned, feeling unworthy, like we don't deserve to be blessed. <laughs> His goal is to convince us to live like we're condemned? Hang, hang on a second here. I, I, I knew I should Hang on. I've got to make sure i got this, the chin strap. Okay, there we go. Okay, the chin strap on my helmet is now secured. I will now commence beating my brains against my desk. Hold, hold on a second. This I, this I know this sounds painful, but I am wearing a helmet. Actually, that hurt a little bit. Okay. Um, the three times, by the way. One for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. Ay, 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 this is just messed up. You've got to be keen enough to recognize that is not God's voice. That is the accuser trying to sour my future. That's the accuser. Uh, oh, man, that's the accuser trying to sour my future. Man, oh, man, we're just victims. I just... Uh. Accuser trying to dump another load of guilt on me, trying to keep me feeling wrong about myself, but I know better... I don't have to listen to his lies. I believe what God says about me. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. My past is erased and my future is bright. Uh, where's the cross on all this? Where's sin? And notice here, you're not preaching the law to show me my need for a savior. You're just basically saying you don't want to listen to that voice. Again, this is the closest I've ever heard Joel Osteen even come when it comes to something that sounds gospel-ish. This is the closest I've heard, but um, something's missing. There's some major ingredients missing from this. <clears throat> By not dwelling on those lies, you silence the voice of the accuser. 
But some of you have been living... Uh, no, Christ silences the voice of the accuser, not by basically saying, I hit the delete key, but by... A by actually dying on the cross for my sins, all of them. Uh, the accuser is actually telling the truth. Christ, uh, you know, the accuser saying, he's done this, 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 and this, and this. He deserves to be punished and to suffer your wrath. And God says, yeah, that's exactly what he deserves. However, um, I actually took his punishment for him on the cross. You see how that whole penal substitutionary thing comes in handy here? Uh, this is the uh, the theory of the atonement known as God has amnesia or God hit the delete key. <sighs> With guilt for years. It's a nagging feeling on the inside. Like a dark cloud that follows you around. Telling you, you've blown it too many times. You should have spent more time with your children when you were raising them. You're just not disciplined enough. Listen, those thoughts will dog you for a lifetime unless you rise up and put a stop to it. Uh, unless I rise up. I thought Christ, we raised up Christ on a cross and he took care of it. Uh, me rising up? Well, I thought Christ rose up. Just like you can use the remote control to change the channel on the television, you can change the channel in your thought life. When those accusing voice comes... When that, when that happens, when you have those accusing voices inside your head, just flip the channel over to ESPN2. I'm telling you, that clears that right up. Reminding you of a mistake you made, bringing up a failure of the past. Whether it was 40 minutes ago or 40 years ago, you need to immediately change the channel. Don't dwell on it. Have the attitude, I refuse to live my life condemned. I may have made mistakes, but I can't do anything about the past. Uh, they're called sins. And this saying, oh, I can't do anything about the past isn't going to help either. <laughs> hey, uh, you get to see God sitting there going, all right, so here's the deal. Let's open the books, take a look at your life. Well, you did this, you did this, you did this. You say, oh, that's all in the past. I can't change that now. And you could just see God sitting there going, then this is going to help you in what way again? I can do better next time, but I am not going to drag. I can do better next time. I'm counting on the God of amnesia, and don't worry, I can do better next time. Hey, hey, hey. Drag yesterday's failures into today. I know I am forgiven, and God is not looking at what's wrong with me. He's looking at what's right with me. Oh, and what would that be again? Uh... When we have this guilt and condemnation, it's like we're carrying around a heavy load everywhere we go. Let me get my bag of guilt. Hang on, let me get my bag of condemnation. Just a second, before we leave, I've got to pack up my bag of regrets, my bag of failures, my bag of mistakes. No, today, we are going to unload all the baggage. Like the airlines tell you, only two bags per customer. I've got an announcement, new rule around here, no bags per customer. We're going to go out of here lighter. Oh, these are such wonderful greeting card platitudes. Too bad they're not biblical. The scripture says, when you know the truth, it will make you free. And what's the truth? You know, what is the truth exactly? The truth you're hearing today is you don't have to carry the guilt. You don't have to listen to the accuser. Oh, that's that sounds nice. Uh, why, again, do I not have to listen to the accuser? I just want to make sure it has something to do with Jesus and his death on the cross for my sins. 
You don't have to try to pay God back for mistakes you've made. They're called sins, not mistakes. They're not oopsies. It's not like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, breaking that uh, Tenth Commandment is just like, well, you know, accidentally spilling a glass of milk. (laughs) That's a mistake. Silly me. What was I thinking? The price has already been paid. And the price has been paid. What's the price? Who paid it? How'd he do it? When you make a mistake, that accusing voice comes saying, you've blown your future. Nothing good. Yeah, that, the, the, when Satan comes to me, he doesn't say anything like, well, there you go, you've blown your future. <laughs> no, it's more like along the lines of, you uh, you and your sorry, sinful carcass really deserve to go to hell. And uh, you, you see, that's, um, when that happens, the, the accuser's actually not lying. No, that's, that's for sure. You see, the only way I can get out of that one is is that Christ says, yep, he does, and I atoned for all of his sins on the cross. I was bruised for his, uh, you know, pierced for his transgressions, bruised for his iniquities. Uh, this one is mine. <sighs> yeah, it's some kind of gospelish sounding language here, but uh, kind of missing the whole point, don't you think? Good is in store. You just got to pay it back by living depressed and defeated. No, you shake that off and say, I know the truth. The price has already been paid 2,000 years ago on the cross at Calvary. There we go. We got some cross talk. Hey, Joel Osteen mentions the cross. I never thought I'd hear this day come. All right, let's see. Again, you know, I'm pointing this all out because you notice he's mentioned the cross here. Um, but so far, all this cross talk, I mean, he's not really unpacking it here. We're not really getting to the um, the real meat of the issue and that is is that we're all sinners wretched sinners who need a savior uh this is more this is what the this is what jesus's death on the cross sounds like when you apply it through a, a self-help strategy uh created by uh who's that great that, that anthony robbins guy that by anthony robbins and then uh, uh dipped in scripture by joel osteen okay I don't have to pay again. I'm not going to go around living guilty, condemned, feeling unworthy, ashamed. No, I know I've been redeemed. God's mercy is bigger than any of my mistakes, so I'm going to press forward with my head held high. They're sins. They're not mistakes. They're sins. Knowing that my best days are still out in front of me. Friends, I'm asking you to unload the baggage. Get off the treadmill. You're not supposed to go through life feeling bad about yourself. Don't drag the regrets of yesterday into today. You can't do anything about your past, but you can do something about your future. Receive God's mercy and keep moving forward. I read about these three men. They were carrying two sacks. I'm telling you, you got something that that, it kind of smells like the gospel. Why does it smell like it's sulfur lace, though? Yeah, that's gospel-ish. Yeah, that smells like gospel, but a hint of sulfur. Hmm. Hmm. One on the back and one on the front. Someone asked the first man what was in his sacks. He said, the sack in my back is filled with all the good things that have happened to me. The sack in the front is filled with all the bad things that have happened. He was constantly focused on the bad, couldn't even see the good. They asked the second man. It was just the opposite response. He said, the sack in the back is filled with the bad things. The sack in the front is filled with the good things. 
At least he could see the good and not focus on the negative. But with both of the sacks being so full, it still weighted him down and made life a burden. The third man was asked, and he told how the sack in the front was filled with all of his accomplishments, his victories, the good things, and the sack in his back was totally empty. He had cut a hole in the bottom of it. That's where he put all his mistakes, his failures, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. Oh, yeah, failures and mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too bad that Christ died for sins, not failures or mistakes. You know what I mean? He explained, because the sack in the front is full and the sack in the back is empty, it keeps me moving forward. I'm weighted toward the front. And oh, that's such a fine story. Too bad that's not even in the Bible. And it acts just like a cell and naturally pushes me ahead. That's what happens when we focus on the right things. It moves us in the forward direction. So many people today are focused on their mistakes, their failures. They carry them around everywhere they go. They wonder why they don't enjoy life. It's because they're weighted down. Why don't you do like that third man and cut a hole in the bottom of that negative bag? Why don't you... Uh, okay, so uh, the negative bag, uh, since it's not really a real bag, um, uh, what kind of scissors do I use to cut a hole in it? Or do I use a spiritual knife? Or, um, you know, what do you use? Do you use a spiritual exacto blade? I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm confused here. How do I cut this hole again? Let go of the things that are doing nothing but slowing you down and making you feel bad about yourself. Life is too short. Oh, I see. Okay, so here's the deal. Your your failures and your oopsies, your mistakes, you see, what they're, what they're really doing is they're keeping you from experiencing all the best things that you can have in life. And so they're really an impediment to you experiencing this great thing now entitled your best life now. And... So, you know, the cross now plays into it this way. You see, because Jesus doesn't want to see you not achieve your best life now. So he died on the cross for your mistakes and your oopsies so that you can basically say, oh, God doesn't remember them anymore. And I can I don't have to focus on them at all. I have to do nothing except for just focus on the good so I can go forward and have my best life now. Oh, boy. To go around carrying things that we don't need. And one way we know that guilt and condemnation is not from God is because it doesn't help you improve. It doesn't make you do better. When we go around feeling wrong about ourselves... Uh, what passage of that is, is that found in the Bible? Just, you know, just asking the question. Selves, ...we are much more likely to make another mistake. I've seen people that blow their diet. They get so down on themselves. They think, uh, do they go to hell if they do that? Uh, I, I'm, I, listen, I, this is... Personally, I've blown a few diets myself in my lifetime. Um, is that a mortal sin, a venial sin? What kind of sin is that? Think, oh, I've already blown it once today. Let me just eat this bowl of ice cream. <laughs> they get up the next day so condemned, so guilty, they think, what's the use? I'm so undisciplined, I'll never lose this weight. They lose their passion. They give up on their goals. Oh, no, not that. Yeah, Satan, that, that, that wascally Satan, he's just trying to heap all kinds of guilt on you so you don't achieve your goals. Yeah, he just wants to ruin your life. That's all he wants to do, I'm telling you. He wouldn't want you achieving those goals now, would he?
It's because guilt doesn't make us do better. It makes us do worse. You should not spend time thinking about what's wrong with you, but rather about what's right with you. I told that young lady that gave up her baby for adoption, look at you. You're beautiful. You're talented. You're successful. You've got a great job. Why are you still so down on yourself? That is over and done. See, there's a right way to handle guilt. Repent, ask for forgiveness, move forward. The wrong way is to hold on to it for a week, a year, or a lifetime. There are... Again, you're hearing him say things like repent and ask for forgiveness and move forward. It sounds gospelish, right? The problem is, is that the devil's always in the details and the definitions that he's using uh, for all of this stuff is, uh, well, it, it, it's not the same as what we find in Scripture. I mean, this sounds like, you know, it really sounds like Joel Osteen is applying a Band-Aid to a mortal wound. You know, it's not as bad as you think it is. Let me take a look. Let me take a look at uh, that wound of yours again. Hoo-wee! Oh, dude, you're going to die. Let me give you a Band-Aid. That'll make you feel better. Hi-yi-yi. <laughs> See, the thing is, is theologians of the cross would take a look at the wound and sit there and go, yep, you're, you're, you're toast. You're gone. Now, you might want to say your prayers. It's all over for you, man. <laughs> Joel Osteen says, don't worry, I'll get you a Band-Aid. It'll fix it right up. There are some things that we cannot undo. You can't unscramble eggs. You cannot relive yesterday, but you can be your best today. Don't let the accuser sour your future any longer. Stop. <laughs> you do understand, Joel, that the future that Satan is trying to sour is that thing known as our eternal future. You've heard of the lake of fire, right? You know, just the, the whole hell thing. And you might want to read up on it. Jesus talked a lot about it. Yeah, that's Satan's idea of ruining our future. <laughs> Why do I feel like that's not what you're talking about here? I, I know because that's not what you're talking about here. Hi, hi, hi. Start dwelling on what's right with you, not what's wrong with you. Have you noticed how human nature is drawn toward the negative? I can have a hundred people tell me after service. Joel, that was a great message. I really needed to hear that. But then one person will say, I don't know if I really understood that point, and I'm not really sure I agree with you on that. I used to go home depressed, discouraged, feeling like a failure. Well, maybe it's because you were. You should have listened to that person. They may have been actually admonishing you to actually stick to the text and actually preach what the Bible says. You might have missed the point. I've learned now to shake it off. Somebody doesn't like it. My attitude is, I can't help it if there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel good about who I am. And I'm not going to let... Oh, I'm so glad you feel great about who you are. Yeah, I, try that one out on Jesus on the Day of Judgment. You know, Jesus, listen, I, I, I know that... Yeah, you opened up all the books, and there's all kinds of ugly sins and... Um, uh, rebellion against you um, that you're pointing out there in those books. Um, yeah, but I feel good about me. I really feel good about who I am. <laughs> Try that one out, yeah, on the Day of Judgment. One bad report cancel out a hundred good reports. In the same way, don't let one weakness that you have or one mistake that you made cancel out all the other great things about you. 
You may- yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much good. Yeah. Uh-huh. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. Have you ever read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 in a good translation in context and talking about our wretched sinfulness? You know, uh, just, just asking. You may have made a lot of wrong choices, but you've also made a lot of right choices. Look at you today. You're sitting in church. You're honoring God. You're giving. You're serving. You've got a heart to do what's right. <laughs> you remember in Monty Python's The Holy Grail, the the Black Knight, uh, the you know the, the Black Knight challenges King Arthur to a you know sword fight. And, you know he says none shall pass, and and uh, King Arthur tells him stand aside. You know, and uh, they end up getting in a sword fight, and you know partway through the sword fight, um, King Arthur cuts off the Black Knight's arm, and there's blood splurting everywhere. And uh, and uh, and Arthur at this point assumes that he's won the battle. I mean, he's just cut off the arm of the Black Knight, and uh, and the Black Knight keeps fighting on. And uh, and he and he says, "I just cut off your arm." He says, "It's a mere flesh wound. It's a mere flesh wound." So he cuts off his other arm, and uh, and he keeps fighting. You know, basically claiming that uh, he, these these positive things about himself and that he can keep on fighting. And uh, he finally gets down. He gets both arms cut off, both legs cut off, and he's pretty much just stumpy guy. And uh, he still he still wants to keep on fighting. Yeah, that's kind of what I think's going on here. Joel Osteen, you've just had your arms cut off, and your legs, and your head cut off by Satan, the accuser. And you're saying that's okay. I have positive thoughts about myself. I can keep on. Fi- I'm going to look at the good within me and not the bad. I'm not going to let these circumstances define who I am and try to rob me of my future. <sighs> Focus on your good qualities. Focus on your victories. Get off the treadmill of guilt. It's not taking you anywhere. Some of you have been guilty about something that happened a long time ago, years and years, and it's stealing your joy, and you're down on yourself, feeling condemned. Listen, that has soured your life long enough. Don't live another moment in regrets. It may have been your fault, but that's what mercy is all about. <laughs> it may have been your fault. He's getting dangerously close to saying the sin word. Oh, come on, Joel, you could do it. I I would just love to actually have a soundbite of you saying the sin word. That would just be all kinds of fun. <sighs> You've got to rise up and say, this is a new day. I'm unloaded. Oh, i got to rise up. Uh, yeah, Sorry, I thought you were going to point me to the cross. Putting the baggage. I am done feeling wrong about myself. I'm done going around condemned. I've focused long enough on what I've done wrong. I'm going to start focusing on what I'm doing right. But for most of us, it's very difficult to accept the fact that God forgives us so easily. When we make mistakes, we think we have to pay. So we get discouraged. Uh, sins are called sins. S-I-N. Today's uh, sermon review is brought to you by the word sin. Uh, the word Joel Osteen has a tough time uh, actually letting it cross his lips. No joy down on ourselves. And sure, we should be remorseful when we do wrong. Uh, do wrong? Would that be a, you know, a sin? We should be genuinely sorry and not just flip it like it's no big deal. Yeah, but that's okay. God has amnesia. You just told me that. But we don't have to spend month after month wallowing around in guilt and condemnation. Yeah, because that'll steal, that'll just mess up your future right there. I mean, that, 
That's yeah. That's that. That's just going to steal your joy, and you, know, you won't have your best life now if that's what happens. I know people that did something wrong years ago, but they're still asking God to forgive them. <laughs> Notice, I know somebody who did something wrong years ago, but I've never have. I've never done that, but I know somebody who did. Hi. <sighs> them. They've probably asked for forgiveness for the same thing a thousand times. They don't realize God forgave them the very first time. The problem is they have not received God's forgiveness. They think they have to show God how... This sounds really close to the gospel here. Again, dangerously close for Joel Osteen. But uh, notice that uh, this is really kind of... Uh, <clears throat> I haven't done this in a while. An adventure... Oh, wait, where is that noise? Hang on. <clears throat> Hello? There it is. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, the, the button was collecting dust. It's been a while since I've done this. Here, here we go. <clears throat> An adventure in missing the point. That's what this is. Yeah, that, that, thank you. Okay, yeah, so, um, hmm, yeah, the, yeah, because there are mistakes and oopsies and failures and things that are stealing your joy and your future. Yeah, <clears throat> we continue. How sorry they are by giving up their joy and paying some kind of penance. And so they live defeated, discouraged, and they beg and beg, God, please forgive me. God, I'm so sorry. Please, God. Now, let me challenge you today. Well, that sounds like somebody who's actually committed a sin rather than just made an oopsie. Today, don't be a beggar. Be a believer. Believe God forgave you the very first time. You don't have to keep asking, receive God's mercy, and just keep moving forward. I read about this nine-year-old boy named Sam. He was visiting his grandparents. They lived on a big farm. Sam had a slingshot that he loved. And all during the day, he'd go out in the woods and shoot at different targets. He practiced and he practiced, but he wasn't that accurate. One evening, he heard the dinner bell. and As he was walking toward the house, he saw his grandmother's pet duck sitting by the pond. He never dreamed in a million... Again, I, I need to warn you all, this uh, story about the pet duck in the pond, not found in the Bible. Just want to make sure you understand that. ...in years he could hit it, but he pulled the slingshot back, let the rock fly, and believe it or not, it hit the duck square in the head, and the duck fell over dead. He felt terrible. He panicked. He ran over and got the duck and secretly buried it behind the woodpile. As he was walking toward the house, he realized his 12-year-old sister, Julie, had seen the whole thing take place. <laughs> that night after dinner, the grandmother said, Julie, I'd like you to stay and help me do the dishes if you don't mind. Julie said, Grandmother, I'd love to, but Sam said he wants to do the dishes tonight. <laughs> she whispered in his ear, remember the duck. <laughs> Sam went over and did the dishes. The next morning, the grandfather was going fishing. He invited both of the children to go. And the grandmother said, I really need Julie to stay here and help me do some chores. And Julie said, Grandmother, Sam said he'd like to stay with you and help you out today. She whispered in his ear again, remember the duck. <laughs> Sam stayed and did the chores. Julie went fishing with her grandfather. And after a couple of days of doing both his and his sister's chores, Sam finally had had enough. He went to his grandmother and said, Grandmother, I'm so sorry, but i got to tell you something. I didn't mean to. I accidentally killed your pet duck. 
Now, notice this wasn't a wanton sin on his part. This wasn't a premeditated. This was an accident. It was an oopsie. The grandmother gave him a big hug and said, Sam, I know you did. I was standing at the window. I saw the whole thing take place, and I've already forgiven you. I've just been waiting to see how long you would let Julie make a slave of you. Can I tell you something today? God was standing at the window. He has seen every mistake. Uh, they're called sins. Every failure, every weakness. Oh, this sounds so, so much like good news, but it's not. The good news is he has already forgiven you. He's not holding anything against you. He's just waiting. Yeah, this is, again, this is gospelish sounding stuff, but this is the gospel for those who make mistakes. You know, the person who accidentally killed the duck uh, rather than actually aimed the gun at it and pulled the trigger. <sighs> waiting to see how long you're going to let the accuser make a slave of you. How long are you going to live guilty and condemned? How long are you going to keep asking for forgiveness for the exact same thing? My declaration is no more. This is a new day. We're going to rise up like Sam and say enough is enough. I may have made mistakes. I'm not happy about it. But I'm not going to let the accuser manipulate me into living life depressed, thinking that I've blown my future, trying to pay a debt that I don't have to pay. I'm going to go to my father and say, here I am. I've blown it. I've made mistakes. But I know you're a God of mercy. You restore. You forgive. So I'm going to get my joy back. I'm going to get my vision back. And I'm not going to let one mistake. I I'm going to get my joy back and my vision back. Huh? Why do we feel like he's just making stuff up here? Well, probably because he is. Or a series of mistakes to keep me from pursuing my God-given destiny. What am I saying? Don't let the accuser manipulate you anymore. You know the truth. God was standing at the window. He's already forgiven you. He accepts you. He approves you. Now rise up in that freedom. Unload the baggage. Leave the guilt behind. It's what it says in Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation when we're in Christ Jesus. Here's the key. Okay, so there's no condemnation when we're in Christ Jesus. Again, this is the closest thing to the gospel I've ever heard him preach. Unfortunately, it's not really it. When we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Notice, we're only not going to be condemned when we're in the Spirit. Oh, okay. How do I do that? In other words, when we make mistakes... They're called sins. If we're in the flesh... We beat ourselves up. We oh, I see. So we, that's what in the flesh is, is if you beat yourself up. Okay. We lose our passion. We feel unworthy. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, notice he's turned the gospel into a law at this point. Worthy. We live depressed and defeated, trying to show God that we're sorry. When we do that, we will be condemned. We'll feel a heaviness. We'll miss God's best. But when we're in the Spirit... We say, yes, I made mistakes. It was my fault, but I know the moment I asked for forgiveness, God not only forgave me, but he doesn't remember it, so I'm not going to fall into the trap of guilt. I'm going to move forward. 
That's when we're not condemned. When we don't listen to the accuser's lies. When we don't wallow in defeat. When we don't carry the heavy load of guilt. But we keep moving forward in life. I love the story of the prodigal. Wow, wow, wow. Notice he turned the gospel right into a law there. Um, ah, man, uh, this is just really bad. I, uh. Son, the young man took his inheritance and left home and went out partying, living wild, undisciplined, making terrible choices. He blew his whole inheritance. He lost it all. Now he had no money, no place to stay. It got so bad, he ended up working in a hog farm, feeding the hogs. He was so desperate, so hungry, he even had to eat the hog food just to stay alive. But one day, as he was sitting in the hog pen, guilty, condemned, ashamed, depressed, something rose up on the inside. He thought to himself, even the servants at my father's house live better than this. And here I'm a son sitting in the hog pen, wallowing in defeat and mediocrity. He made a statement that changed his future. Without this statement, we would hear no more of this young man. Wallowing in defeat and mediocrity. Well, I'm so glad Jesus came to solve that problem. He said, I will arise and go to my father. He was saying, yes, I've made mistakes. I brought the trouble on myself, but I'm not going to let one bad season of my life ruin the rest of <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. He just sinned for a season. Yeah, like all of us. It was, <laughs> I only sinned when I was a kid. Of my future, I will arise. Maybe today you've made some poor choices. You're not where you want to be in life. The accusing voice keeps telling you, it's your fault. Too bad you brought it on yourself. If you're going to be restored, if you're going to fulfill your destiny... It's if you're going to be restored, if you're going to fulfill your destiny... Hmm. It's not up to God. It's up to you. You've got... Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me back that up. <clears throat> Let's try this again. Here. Choices. You're not where you want to be in life. The accusing voice keeps telling you, it's your fault. Too bad you brought it on yourself. If you're going to be restored, if you're going to fulfill your destiny, it's not up to God. It's up to you. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this now the 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 real nature of this sermon comes out. It's again, this is law shrouded in gospel language. Yikes, this would be the wolf in sheep's clothing thing that I warned you about. The angel of light. If you're going to be restored, it's not up to God. It's up to you. And that's the hook. Wow. You've got to do like this young man. You've got to. And say, I may be down, but I'm not going to stay down. Yeah, because, you know, you're, he was suffering from mediocrity. I've made mistakes. It's my fault. But I know the secret. I will arise and go to my father. I believe one reason this young man could arise is because deep down he knew who he was. Because deep down he knew who he was. You're not pointing him to the fact that he deep down he knew what his who his father was. Oh, man. He knew what family he belonged to. 
When you understand your position, you can change your condition. Yeah, that sounds great. Too bad it's all 100% law. When you understand that you are a child of the Most High God, God breathed His life into you. You were never created to live depressed, defeated, guilty, condemned, ashamed, unworthy. Well, yeah, see, Adam and Eve, they weren't created to do that. The problem is they sinned, and we are all sinners as a result of that. You ever heard of that thing called the fall? Just, you know, asking. Um, No, you were created to rule, to reign, to be victorious. Your condition may be way down here because of poor choices, mistakes you've made. You don't feel like you deserve it. You don't feel like you're worthy. But you've got to shake that off and say, I understand. Uh, you've got to shake that off. That's the law language again. My position. I know who I am. A child of Almighty God. Now, I may not feel like I deserve it. I may not feel like I'm worthy. But I know because of what Christ did, He made me worthy. He took my guilt so that I can be free. Again, note the, the gospel in this sermon is the bait to hide the hook. Wow, this is, oh, this is one of the most deceptive sermons I have heard in a long time. Whew! Nasty! The gospel is the bait on the law hook here. Um, masterfully done, by the way. Wow. So I'm going to arise and go to my father. So I'm going to arise. Forget the fact that the father forgave him. Uh, wouldn't even let him get anything else out other than the confession. I have sinned against you. And then, boom, kill the fatted calf. <sighs> Boy, this is wow, wow. That's what this young man did. And when the father saw him coming way down the road, the father took off running toward him. He gave his son a big hug, put a ring on his finger, a robe on his back. He said to his servants, let's celebrate. My son has come back home. God will do the same thing for you. When you make that decision that you're going to shake off the guilt. God, God will do the same thing for you when you make the decision to shake off the guilt. Okay. Shake off the condemnation and say, I'm going to move forward with my life. When you make a move, God will make a move. He'll come. Ah, that's, uh, that's almost straight Pelagianism. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that, by the way, is a heresy. Running towards you with mercy, forgiveness, restoration, favor, increase. God can still get you to where you're supposed to be. Yeah, don't worry. You can still have your best life now. You just need to shake off that guilt, you know, and, and make the first move. Whew. Yeah, this is salvation from a mediocre life. Yeah, too bad the biblical salvation that's being offered is uh, salvation from the wrath of God that I've actually earned. And the accuser accuses me correctly when he says that. Oh, boy. So often when we make mistakes, the accusing voices go into overdrive, telling us that you can't ask God for help. It was your fault. You would be a hypocrite. You brought this trouble on yourself. No, this is when mercy comes in. When we do wrong, we ask for forgiveness. God forgives us. But when you really understand who you are, you won't just ask for forgiveness. You'll take it one step further. 
and ask God for His mercy. Mercy says, God, I believe you will bless me in spite of these mistakes. So that's the definition of mercy. Mercy equals God will bless you in spite of the um, mistakes. No sin here again. It's just These are just oopsies. You know, it's the kid who accidentally killed the duck. The guy who accidentally made a bad decision and ended up, you know, living in mediocrity, slopping pig slop. Yeah, whoops, that was a mistake. That's what Jacob did. He had lived his life as a cheater, a deceiver, doing people wrong. Would that be a sin? Or was that just a mistake too? One day, he decided he wanted to make things right. He got tired of living that way. He went down to the brook so he could be alone. The scripture talks about how the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. He went down to the brook? <laughs> what? <laughs> the the Jabok? <laughs> he was down by the river, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. In the form of a man. That would be Jesus. Jacob and the angel began to wrestle. It went on all night. And Jacob said to the angel, I know who you are. And I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And when the angel saw how determined Jacob was... And uh, that's not what the text says. ...and how he wasn't going to give up, he reached over and gave Jacob God's blessing. Jacob left there a different person. God... <laughs> Folks, I'm running out of time here. Um... Go and read the story for yourself, and I think you would be amazed at uh, uh, Joel's uh, retelling of the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Um, it doesn't sound anything like the actual story itself. Go and get your Bible, open it up to Genesis, find the story, and read it. You, the the the, the two are worlds apart. Unbelievable. He even changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel means prince with God. But can you imagine the nerve of Jacob? Don't you know that took a lot of boldness? Here he had practically lived his whole life making poor choices. Deceiving. <laughs> yeah, that poor Jacob. He was nothing but a bad choice maker. Unbelievable. Cheating, lying. Would those be sins? You know, lying. That, that eighth commandment there. I, oh, man. He should have felt overwhelmed with guilt, condemnation, all washed up. But somehow, he had the confidence to not only ask for... Yeah, there we go. He somehow had the confidence. ...forgiveness. But he said, God, I believe you will bless me in spite of the way I've lived. Uh, what translation of the scriptures did you get that from? Because that is not in any known translation that I have ever seen. Surely God would say, Jacob, what are you talking about? No, he wouldn't do that and stop calling God Shirley. Sorry. Are you crazy? You don't deserve to be blessed, not even really forgiven. I'm not going to bless you. No, God said in effect, Jacob, I love the fact that you know who you are. No. no. <laughs> Holy cow. We have... The, uh, the gospel smell is now completely missing. Yeah, nothing but sulfur here. What? Where does he get this stuff? Uh, does he not think that God's going to pay attention to this?
my child, redeemed, forgiven, made worthy. You not only ask to be forgiven, but you ask for my mercy. And Jacob, if you're bold enough to ask, then I'm bold enough to do it. That's the kind of faith that gets God's attention. Not when we dress. Holy cow. Wow. I am speechless. This, This is just satanic. Drag around guilty, condemned, feeling wrong on the inside. No, it's time for us to arise and go to our Father. God is not the one condemning you. That is the accuser. Change the channel. Uh, God will be the one condemning people on the last day. Remember, Jesus is the judge, and he's going to separate them, sheep and goats. Remember all that? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Stop dwelling on those thoughts. You may have failed, but God's mercy never fails. The sad thing is, most people accept the condemnation quicker than they accept God's mercy. Don't let that be you. And how is that? How is he defining God's mercy? He defined it earlier. Accepting God's mercy means expecting his blessing, despite all your mistakes. Yeah, you got to do the definitional work, because here he's using gospel-ish words, but he's poured completely different meanings into them so that they don't mean what the Bible teaches. Uh, this is really, really, really slick and deceptive. Wow. Shake off the guilt. Shake off the negative mistakes from the past. Don't go another minute in regrets, feeling bad about yourself. The moment you ask for forgiveness, God forgave you. Now you do your part and unload the baggage. You do your part. There is no part in my part in the gospel. Remember our new rule around here? No bags per customer. That means leave the guilt right where you are. Don't take it with you. We'll put it in the dumpster for you. Leave the bag of regrets. Leave the bag of failures. Leave the bag of condemnation right where you are. Just leave the bag of heresy and walk out of that church completely. You, otherwise, you stick around there. You could end up in hell. Friends, if you will learn to silence the voice of the accuser, then guilt and condemnation cannot weigh you down. You will live a life of freedom, rising higher, overcoming obstacles, accomplishing dreams. And even though you make mistakes, I believe... Yeah, this would be some uh, preaching to scratch some itching ears. Yeah, you can live some dreams. Wow. ...and declare you will still fulfill your God-given destiny. Amen. How many of you receive it today? Yeah, no, that, wow. Uh, f- folks, um, I know that sounded like the gospel, but it wasn't the gospel. Let's let's review. You and I are sinners. We've actually, well, broken God's law. We have rebelled against him. We are sinful by nature. And by nature, we were objects of God's wrath. Not good news. And the accuser, when he says you did X, Y, and Z, well, he's not lying. He's actually, well, telling the truth. And they're not mistakes. These are full-blown, wanton, uh, rebellious sins on your part. And uh, these aren't things you just did for a season. These are things you've done your entire life, including today, by the way. And so here's the bad news. You have earned God's wrath, and God rightfully can say to you, to hell with you, that's what you've earned. Now, exit that for a second, and let's have Jesus enter the scene. Jesus comes, and he lives a perfectly righteous, sinless life here on earth. It's God in human flesh, and he lives a perfectly sinless life. And he goes to the cross, 
and atones for your sins, and he's punished in your place. And the call of the gospel, therefore, is to you to repent and believe this good news. Yes, your sins are forgiven in Christ. Christ died for your sins. Now, if you're looking for the God who died for mistakes and oopsies and things that really you didn't mean to do, um, that's a different God. That that ain't the God of the Bible. So if you're looking for the God who actually absolves and dies for and atones for sins and quiets the wrath of God by actually satisfying the justice of God, um, then we got good news for you because that's what Christ was all about. Now, if you're looking for the God who died for oopsies and, and boo-boos and things like that, that's a, that, that's a cartoon God, and he created by Joel Osteen, and he doesn't actually exist. So um, repent, therefore, of that false god and trust in the real one and even that that sin of idolatry and believing in the god of oopsies and boo-boos um that even god will even forgive that because christ died even for that sin repent therefore and believe the good news all right we're at the end of another edition of fighting for the faith and i need to kindly remind you fighting for the faith is listener supported radio and right now we're looking for 1000 of our listeners to join the pirate christian radio fighting for the faith crew it's a mere $6.95 a month and signing up uh when we get to 1000 people it'll guarantee that at least we can pay our minimum bills every month <laughs> that's kind of an important thing and so you can uh, support us by going to fightingforthefaith.com click on the join our crew button or you can, uh, if you'd like to send your gift in, you can. You can uh, make it payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Oh, boy. Well, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or follow me on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or on Twitter. Again, my name there is pirate christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by jesus christ and his vicarious death on the cross for your sins amen <laughs>